<laughs> sandals or white culture. <laughs> I've decided. Um, Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating LGBTQ plus pop culture. We did it. We did it. It took us four seasons. <laughs> Here we are. That was the best start to an episode you've ever done. Thank you. Today's episode is going to be called Jay's School. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Jay. <laughs> we could. This could be a whole series. Ooh, of me teaching you things. Jay's School of J- Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we should explain what's happening. <laughs> Everyone's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Actually, you should explain where this episode came from. Not too long before we started to do the podcast, something happened. I think, I I believe it was around the time when we saw this French movie called Theo and Hugo, which I've definitely talked about on the podcast. Cute movie. But I, we were talking at work one day and I came clean as like very naive to the AIDS epidemic outside of what happened. And if you're listening to postcasts, there are things that both of us don't know about the AIDS <laughs> epidemic. <laughs> but one of the things that I was really unclear on was AIDS art. And Jay was like, oh, like, I have a lot to say on this topic. And I forget how we got to this point, but it ended with Jay and I sitting down and Jay gave me a, a copy of a packet that was many pages thick. And Jay had a copy and Jay took me through beat by beat the entire AIDS art the whole AIDS crisis, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really. And when we were designing the first season of the podcast, I was like, we got to do that as a full episode. And we never really wanted to. It never really felt right. We had other stuff to say. And now <laughs> I finally got in my way. We're doing it in season four, which is great because I also have forgotten most of it. That's great. I also do not know what we will be talking about in this episode. Yeah, just to keep I it have as... a piece of paper in front of me with the outline of what I want to talk about that Robert has not seen. And there are things that I hope are on that list. Generally, what I want to start with is like the idea behind what? I just imagined like you in front of a classroom and everyone opening the first page of them. <laughs> it's like everybody opened a page one. <laughs> So I want to start with sort of like a general macro look at art during the AIDS crisis. So why do you think the AIDS crisis as a period has so much famous art that came from it and so many famous artists and like art is such a big part of it? That's a really great question. I'm nervous in answering this question because I feel like it could go two ways. On one hand, it could be like a really stereotypical answer where it's like, these people made this art and died for these reasons, so now the art has become famous. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. that the, that's why. Yeah. Or, on the other hand, it could be about, like, where the art ended up. Like, the art ended up in the hands of people that were really rich, so then, like, it became famous in, like, a very different way. But otherwise, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Those are both really good answers, and those are both part of it. Okay. The main reason is that because the AIDS epidemic affected mostly but not exclusively queer men who were involved in the art scene. And when I say the art scene, I don't just mean visual art. I mean like art of all genres. 
they were sort of primed to use art as their main form of expression as protest. Does that make sense? Yes. And then also, and then the other thing is sort of like why people turned to art as a form of protest during the AIDS crisis is like not only were they sort of already primed to be artistic, they also were sort of like what can get the message out in like a much bigger way than just our protests on the street. Hmm. Because there's a very distinct difference between a march that happens on one day and is over after that day, and the people involved remember it, but the people who weren't involved probably will forget about it after a while, versus like subway art, which it takes a while to scrub off, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the art of the AIDS crisis started as graffiti and like protest art. And then, you're right, ended up in the hands of either the people who survived and ended up becoming wealthy and, like, involved in the art scene and were able to put it in museums, or ended up in the hands of, like, wealthy people who sort of scrubbed the meaning out of it and were like, oh, I love this Keith Haring painting that's about AIDS, but I'll just hang it in my gallery and it'll just look pretty. Right. And that's something we'll talk about later. Great. (laughs) I mean, you know I'm going to talk about that. (laughs) So this season we're doing something really fun and really exciting. It's called... A book club. We're inventing a new thing. Yeah, we invented invented something called a book club. It's going to be super awesome. We're all going to read a book together. And then in an episode at the end of the season, we're going to talk about it. Oh, I guess we should say what the book is. (laughs) (laughs) Season four's book is Red, White, and Royal Blue. By Casey McQuiston. Thank you. I, don't, I can't say her last name yeah. to save my life. I yeah. want to say McQuiston, and I know that's not no, it. No, no, it's McQuiston. And uh, we can't wait to start something new with you guys. Yeah, we're very excited. So go, you can buy it at wherever books are sold. It's called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. And the episode airs August 12th, so go ahead and finish the book by then. And make sure you're all caught up, because we will not be spoiler-free in the episode. See you then. And also every Monday before this. <laughs> <laughs> So I've picked three artists who are all sort of like very different to sort of give you a sense of the three different kinds of artists that were working during the AIDS crisis. So we're going to start with Grand Fury. Are you familiar? Yes, but I think only from you. (laughs) That's correct. (laughs) For each one, I've picked like the most famous piece of their art. Okay. And for Grand Fury, I'm going to show it to you. And you'll have a reaction, and then we'll tell everyone what it is. Okay, great. So this is Grand Fury's most famous piece of work. Oh, (laughs) great. And if you want to know what I'm looking at, you can also go onto our Instagram. Yeah. So do you want to tell everyone what it is? It's the very classic pink triangle, which, correct me if I'm wrong, comes from Holocaust history. Correct. And the silence equals death. Yes. So Grand Fury... Did they come up with that saying, or were, were they the first person to put it on... You're about to find out. Oh. (laughs) I love that you're saying they, because little did you know, Grand Fury is an anonymous collective of 11 artists. (laughs) Robert's mouth is. Move over non binary people. There's a new gender gender is 11 people. (laughs) So they were a collective of artists and they spawned from Act Up. Fight AIDS. Correct. <laughs> so do you, you know what ACT UP was? Fight AIDS. Mark Ruffalo started it. 
I'm leaving. Right? No, he didn't start it. He worked it. for it. He worked the for character, it. The character. The character in the normal heart. Yeah. <laughs> so ACT UP is, remains an organization to spread awareness and also fight HIV and AIDS. They were huge in the 80s and 90s, and now they're sort of a smaller collective. I have a question about that. Yeah. Can you explain to me what that means? Because in my mind, they weren't that big in the 80s because no one was fighting for it. And now over time, like it would make sense that they're even bigger. Or so, are they smaller because we've more or less gotten control? Yes, they're smaller because we've more or less gotten control. They were huge in like the late 80s and all of the 90s. Because in the early 80s, no one really knew it was happening. I think ACT UP was founded in 1986, but I could be wrong. Gotcha. All of the media depictions, like when you see them in movies, it's always like 12 people in a room. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, ACT UP was really small. They were formed in 1987. Oh, very late in the game. I was close though. Yeah. So ACT UP stands for AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Learn something new. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing you've learned? (laughs) In this, yes. (laughs) They started small and then they got huge. I mean, you saw in the episode of Pose where ACT UP was featured. That was like a huge group meeting. So I guess my question is this, is ACT UP one group? Like ACT UP in New York, like we're in the 80s, ACT UP is having a meeting. Is it one place that you can go to or can anybody start like a it's one branch place. of it? See, that's what I mean. Like that scene in Pose, there were what, 45 people in that room? Yeah. So then now are there like five? I don't know. I mean, I've never been. ACT UP, if you're listening. <laughs> I would love to me. have someone from ACT UP on. That'd be great. Season five. But anyway, the reason we're talking about ACT UP, ACT UP had departments and its art department was Grand Fury. And so Grand Fury was like the art collective of ACT UP. And then eventually they ended up splitting off from ACT UP and just becoming an art collective. And they were an anonymous art collective. So at the time, no one knew who was in it. Now we know. Their big focus was like creating art that existed outside of the museum space, art that could be used in protests. So another big thing of theirs, you may know as my cover photo on Facebook, it says art is not enough, seize power through direct action. And then it's a protest sign that says my body, my mind, my choice. They also did kissing doesn't kill, which is like, oh, you yeah, see that? Yeah. yeah. And they would like paper the subway with their things. Their, their art, <laughs> their things, their art. <laughs> and they got censored so they had to take to like illegally posting on the street and like hanging art on like lampposts and signs and like basically graffiti. What do you mean they got censored? Like someone came in and blacked out certain parts of it or like? Like they were told they weren't allowed to do their art anymore. I have a question about that. Isn't that like unconstitutional for like a, the government to be like, you need to stop creating art? Like isn't no. there a, like some sort of freedom of speech? Because they the weren't press? saying you need to stop creating art they were saying let me see exactly or was it that the art was graphic in some way they weren't saying you can't create art they were saying your work is inappropriate and targeting members of the government so you have to take it down one of the members is responsible for that piece at the moma that's reagan with the like targets Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so it was things like that where the government was like, and I don't mean like Reagan himself was like, Grand Fury must not create art. I mean like like the commissioner basically was like, you can't do this, you know? Okay. And so they literally had to just start like posting art illegally on the street because they weren't allowed to display it or hang it anywhere. So it was illegal for them to hang it up. Crazy. 
I know. So the reason I wanted to showcase them is because they're a collective, which was very popular during the AIDS crisis, like creating collectives to create art. And they also were the ones doing the, whose art was like a direct protest art. Okay. Like they created like... Like it wasn't abstract or anything. It wasn't abstract. And it also wasn't like the kind of art that you hang in a gallery, even though now a lot of it is hung in galleries. And their art was mainly, at first, graphic design for ACT UP. Like the silence equals death with the pink triangle was just like graphic design for ACT UP. And then it became like the most iconic image of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of were like the most directly political, famous artist of the AIDS crisis. Mm. So that's Grand Fury. Any questions? One. Gran or Grand? Gran. G-R-A-N. Okay. Grandma Fury. (laughs) I'm Tom Kalin. I'm a filmmaker and a member of the AIDS activist collective Graham Fury. And I'm here today discussing the work of Edgar Heap of Birds and his piece Disappear Me, which is part of a series of drawings called American Policy. I think one thing that's interesting to think about in terms of American policy as a name of a series of drawings is it's just so blunt. It's putting on public trial the laws and belief systems that govern a country, and I think that's incredibly powerful. And on a personal level, I connected it with the earliest work of Graham Fury is a piece called Let the Record Show, where we attempted to put our public officials on trial for their negligence during the AIDS crisis and the fact that they caused so many Americans to die. So artist number two, mm-hmm. David Wojnarowicz. Never heard of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you a famous work of his. This one's kind of tricky because I don't think you would have seen a lot of his work, but you've seen him before. I have. This is him. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So he's the guy who wears the jacket that says, if I die of AIDS, forget burial, just drop my body on the steps of the FDA. So this is his back. Okay. He was a photographer and a painter, really. And again, all of these images can be found on our Instagram and Twitter and stuff. I love that you get the plug in every time. (laughs) So his work, you'll love this, was mostly inspired by Reagan and Bush's silence regarding AIDS. Bush... One. Bush one. Great. Yes. Bush two was in our lifetime. I was going to (laughs) say. The interesting comparison between him and the next artist we'll talk about is basically he grew up, he got kicked out of his home very early because he was gay. He was homeless. He was in abusive relationships with men. What? I was like, Bush? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. David Wojnarowicz. Yeah, okay. (laughs) He started making art as a photographer, and then he ended up being, like, a photographer, a painter, a performance artist, a dancer. Like, he just sort of did everything, but he's best known for his paintings and his photography, mostly of his lover, Peter Hujar, who I guarantee you haven't heard of. (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) Yeah, who died of AIDS in the 80s. He did not die of AIDS until the 90s. David didn't. Basically, he sort of like built himself up from the ground and his work ended up getting shown in galleries while he was alive. He was in the Whitney Biennial in 1985. Yeah, so he was like, ended up being a big deal while he was alive. Yes. Wait, so was it? His art or his AIDS art was in, was at the Whitney in 85? His AIDS art. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because it was like very early. And so The Whitney his was like, art, this is cool. It was never his, like his work that was in galleries was never his art about Reagan and Bush. But it was like, it was about 
Peter Hujar who died of AIDS. Great. So it was technically like his AIDS art, you know, mm-hmm. and technically like all of his art was AIDS art because he was dealing with AIDS mm-hmm. while he was making it. And so he was displayed in a bunch of galleries and he never was really like rich while he was alive, but he was very well known mm-hmm. versus artist number three. You can probably guess. Keith? Yeah. Keith Haring. Uh, my man. <laughs> so Keith Haring, who was born into a wealthy family, mm-hmm. went to a really good college. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. He started his art as graffiti, but in his lifetime, he became incredibly rich and incredibly famous because of all the people who were like buying and selling his art, not realizing that the context of it was AIDS. Oh. Yeah. I always thought that he didn't become famous until after his death. No. when The Keith Haring Foundation was founded by him when he was alive. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, like, his art of these three artists I've talked about was the least political. Because, technically, he makes art about, like, wearing condoms. And, like, he does silence equals death art. But it's super easy to have his art free of the context of AIDS. Which we'll get to in a second. But that's, like, what people do a lot with his art. Is just, like, completely scrub it of the context of... It's politicism. And it's just like the shape of an alligator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I sort of wanted to compare him and David because I think it's interesting how David sort of came up like through the dirt and Keith just sort of like came up great. Mm -hmm. And Keith ended up being like super rich and super famous. And David is now nowhere near as famous as Keith ever was. Yeah. But he's one of the biggest artists of the AIDS crisis. And, like, people who know AIDS art, like, really know him. And people who know art are, like, really into him. But he's never made it to the level of, like, having his art on shirts at H&M. And, like... (laughs) Yeah. Because his art is way more political and more overtly political. Hmm. You know? I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I remember going to Uniqlo with you for like the first time. Yes. Would together and you were like don't buy the Keith Haring stuff because a lot of places like use his art but the money doesn't go back to the foundation and then we were recently there and their collection does now, maybe it always did, I don't know. And I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. And it ties into what you were saying that like his quote unquote like success is kind of massive in comparison. Yeah. Where I can see the jacket and I'm like yes, I've seen that image before. But I couldn't tell you whose it is. But like Keith Haring, I'm like, oh yeah. When we went to Chicago last year, yeah, we like went to that Keith Haring exhibit. And yeah. like, if there was an exhibit by David, you know, I wouldn't have like wanted to go. You would have sought it out, right? Yeah. Were they creating art at the same time? Yeah, and they were friends. Oh, they were friends. Yeah, they were buddies. How nice. <laughs> <laughs> All the artists were sort of like friends and knew each other. Also, I know that this is distasteful. Uh Um, but Keith is hot. He is hot. When I was like putting this together last night, I was on a website about AIDS art and I clicked on his little thing and a big picture of him popped up and I was like, oh, right. Every once in a while, I'll see a picture of him and I'm like, right, he's cute. But when we were in Chicago, they had this big, I want to say like a mural that was on a wall. I can't remember what that was, but it was this big thing on display. And then there was a retrospective of sorts of like images of him with children creating the mural the mural and he was wearing these like short shorts and a t-shirt and i was like this is the art <laughs> i think it's more important to make 
a lot of different things and keep coming up with new images and things that were never made before than to do one thing and do it do it well. They come out fast, but I mean it's a fast world. And so fast has Keith Haring caught on in this fast world that now he has a one-man show at a gallery in Soho. Here are the same images. The cookie cutter men, babies, hearts, dolphins, and spaceships. Only now, it is the art world looking on. They think it's art, all right. This is like a good segue into appropriation of art. Ah, uh, great. Yeah, which I know you love to talk about, and I love to talk about. I love appropriation because I, <laughs> uh, I love <laughs> it. Um, only because I think it's really interesting, and there's no. I, I think that it is bad. But then at the same time, anybody and everybody that says that it's bad also is like a culprit of it. Yeah. So I think it's like the most interesting subject we talk about. Yeah, it's impossible to go through life without doing it. Yeah. If you don't exist in a marginalized community, you know. Right. Like even then, maybe you're doing it to somebody to like another marginalized community. Like maybe like black women are capable of cultural appropriation, even though everyone is appropriating their culture. Right. If you just like walk down a store heavy street in New York, you will see 50% of the stores will have a Keith Haring thing in them, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because he was like very, very much a political activist. All of that is like totally gone from when it's like being sold at like H&M, you know? I was just thinking about that because you think about like what happens during Pride Month where corporate places including uniqlo like pull out pride lines yeah but keith herring is always there yeah and so it's almost been scrubbed of like any sort of like unity with the queer culture right that sentence didn't make sense but you know no it does make sense that like it's it's so separate in their minds that it doesn't need to only be displayed in june (laughs) yeah totally i think a lot of straight people have like straight midwestern people wear Keith Haring t-shirts having no idea that he was hot that that he was hot that they're wearing like characters created as like anti-AIDS propaganda by like a gay man who died of AIDS so would you say that his art is more propaganda or more protest protest I just said propaganda because I wanted to be extreme to the midwesterners literally someone came into insert name of store I work at the other day and was wearing just like the alligator on a sweatshirt. And I was like, Oh, Keith Haring, I have a Keith Haring tattoo. And he was like, what? Uh, And I was like, Keith Haring on your shirt. And he was like, Oh, I just like the alligator. And I was like, okay. And then all my like queer coworkers and I were like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) so my favorite story about appropriation (laughs) is a story not about an AIDS artist, but about an artist who is sort of in that crowd and a political artist, Barbara Kruger. <laughs> Why are you making that I'm face? I'm on the edge of knowing who that is. Yeah. So Barbara Kruger, not technically an AIDS artist. Okay. But a very political artist. Her most famous work is this. <gasps> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> this is what I was most excited for. Yeah. Robert loves this story. Ah. Uh. So what I Robert, bring up all the time. I know. <laughs> so what Robert is looking at is the Supreme logo. Yes. For those of you who don't know, Supreme is a brand. I don't know what they make. Clothing. Clothing. Bags. Skateboards, right? I, I, huh. 
<laughs> yeah, I, mean, I just know people that like have shirts and hats and bags and like stuff from Supreme, and it's like it's not Gucci, but it's like a very big. It's like maybe a maybe uh, it's a very expensive brand for sure. Yeah. All right, Barbara Crew. And I think it's important to say that everybody wears it. Yeah, everybody in New York, you like can't walk down the street without someone wearing Supreme. Yeah, no matter the sexuality or gender or anything like that. Like yeah, every, like it's like a blanket. It's like it's almost like Zara. Cool brand. Like everybody wears it. Yeah, exactly. So. Barbara Kruger, Supreme. And you can jump in at any time if you want to help tell this story. Or you can just let me tell it. Barbara Kruger is an artist from the 80s and 90s. She's still working today. And she, she's a, it's hard to explain what she is. She's not really a painter. She's like, since I'm not like an art person, I don't really know. She's like a mixed media artist. I almost, from very limited knowledge of like, like her art beyond what I've seen, it's almost like she's like a, graphic artist yeah but not in the way that you would think yeah like it's very basic and minimal but like a graphic artist yeah she's a graphic artist that's a good way to describe her and most of her work has this like bright red bar across it and then white lettering in that bar so like a famous piece of hers is that piece that says you construct elaborate rituals to touch the skin of other men do you know that one yes yeah Um, You can go see it on our Instagram. (laughs) Yes, you can. You construct... What is it you construct? Oh, you construct intricate rituals which allow you to touch the skin of other men. And here it is. It's literally red and white and red and white. (laughs) That was like her big thing for all of the 80s and 90s was like those kinds of works. And then Supreme, you know, as we mentioned, rich people brand was founded in 1994, the year I was born. Drama. (laughs) In 1994. And their logo is a red block with white text in exactly Barbara Kruger's font. And so the art world went crazy. It was drama in the art world. (laughs) And basically... Barbara Kruger was like, fuck this, I don't care, like, whatever. And then she didn't file a lawsuit, and then people filed lawsuits on her behalf, and then there were, like, other lawsuits, and then she said this, which I think is one of the best things anyone's ever said. There was a lawsuit between Supreme and Married to the Mob, which I guess is a clothing brand. Sure. And they had, Married to the Mob had, like, tried to steal the Supreme logo, and Supreme sued them. Oh. And in response, Barbara Kruger said, What a ridiculous clusterfuck of totally uncool jokers. (laughs) (laughs) I make my work about this kind of sadly foolish farce. I'm waiting for all of them to sue me for copyright infringement. So, and then the lawsuits all went away, and Barbara Kruger was basically like, she continued to just be like, fuck it, I'm just going to keep making my work. I don't care about this. But, like, people who care about Barbara Kruger obviously are still mad about it. And she's my favorite artist. Barbara Kruger, come on the podcast. Barbara Kruger, truly come on the podcast. I would love... Oh, um, so my favorite thing that sticks out to me from the presentation that you gave me years ago... Yeah. ...is that in all of the, like, lawsuit stuff, Supreme said, essentially, that Barbara didn't invent white font on black on like a black like bar or yeah. anything like that or like white on black white or on red like that. yes 
which stuck with me. I think about it all the time, which is what I think why this is my favorite story, because like you think about something fun that has no basis in anything, but it's something that Jay and I do is I love the Jaws shot, which was like the shot, the very famous shot of like the zoom in while pulling out at the same time that was first seen in the movie Jaws 1. And whenever it's used in another movie, one of us will catch it and say it. And I think it's interesting because it's like, it's sort of the same thing in a very weird way where they're using something that it was successful in a movie and that shot is so famous, but it's like Jaws didn't invent that camera technique. Yeah. Maybe they did, but like, it's not like the zoom in button had never been around before <laughs> and they like created it. Yeah. So I think like as interesting and fair of an argument it is, I'm also like, bullshit, like that's Jaws's shot. Yeah. And in the same way where I'm like, it's not even that Supreme's logo is like reminiscent of her art. It just like is hers. Yeah, it's exactly the same. So then do we, are we mad at Supreme still? Do, are we mad at people that wear Supreme? Uh, like where, like where are we at? I'm mad at Supreme still mm-hmm. because I love Barbara Kruger so much. I'm not mad at people who wear Supreme because they don't have any idea, you know? Well, now you do. Yeah. Listeners, if you own Supreme, burn it. I have friends that have Supreme and I'm not mad at them, but I'm mad at people like Gus Kenworthy who will post pictures on Instagram of him in Supreme shirts. And I'm like, he, for lack of better words, is an AIDS activist because he raises thousands and thousands of dollars for AIDS charities. But like to do that and then also not have the knowledge behind it and just wear it because it's very popular, like very popular brand is off-putting to me. Yeah. Gus? Gus Kenworthy, (laughs) come on the podcast so we can confront you about this. (laughs) Humor has always been a driver of my work. Whether you want to call it irony or whether you want to call it parody or commentary or even satire or just a simple grasp of the goof, I always say I try to make work about how we are to one another. So then the last topic I have to discuss is a topic that we sort of brought up in our camp episode. Uh Uh-huh which is something I've talked to you about, which is that the thing that makes me saddest about, Uh, yeah. This kills me every time. Yeah. About the AIDS epidemic is like, we have no idea and no way of knowing where art would be if all of those men and some women hadn't died. Mm Mm-hmm. And some non-binary people, I'm sure. There was so much amazing art happening and people were just like cut short in their careers. But then at the same time, were it not for the AIDS crisis, we wouldn't have any of Grand Fury's art. We wouldn't have Keith Haring's art. We wouldn't have David Wojnarowicz's art, you know? Well, we may. I feel like it, it would just, just it be would, different. Yeah, yeah. And it probably wouldn't have done as well for black, for like, it's also interesting because I don't know where we where what New York would look like. Right. I mean, if you listen to Poe's cast in a recent episode, they very flippantly are like, oh, all the bathhouses are closed. And yeah. like things start to end or shut down or like like party life and party party culture almost kind of dies. And so I, it would be interesting if we ever were to find out, which would be never to know like what even the city would be like. Yeah, that's true. I had a teacher once in college who was like, in the late 70s, Broadway was like exactly what it was supposed to be. And then everyone who was making it that way died of AIDS. 
And now it's just like cash grabs. Broadway as a theater or street? Like, no, like as like the theater. The theater, like the like theater. Broadway gotcha. theaters, yeah. Interesting. Was exactly what it's supposed to be because it was more, art- like it was more it was artistic. All art. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's hard to comment on it because I'm like, it, like it's, it's sad. Yeah. It feels weird because it's also like, I don't want to sound selfish in it and be like, oh, like I, I wish this hadn't happened so that I could have more of their stuff because obviously like I wish they were alive in general. Yeah. But like, yeah, it did have like such an influence that I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's not really a lot to say about that besides like, let's take a moment and think about it. Is that your last topic? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I have two things that I want to talk about then. Okay. Or that I want you to talk about because I think that they're fun or not fun. The story that I want you to tell. Okay. Is about my best friend and your best friend. And the focus of possibly, or the focus of an episode in my future podcast, The Crowned Podcast. Lady Diana. Yes. Diana and Jackie. Yes. I want to talk about them. Okay. What do you want to talk about? (laughs) Just that you love them? (laughs) Yes. But I didn't, I didn't know until our presentation or the presentation that you gave me years ago that like Jackie was a huge influencer in the AIDS art. (laughs) She was an Instagram influencer of like AIDS art. But, like, low-key and, like, undercover. Yeah, so Jackie purchased a lot of AIDS art. Like, undercover, she purchased it. And she basically, she supported a lot of... Because she was not in office at the time, obviously. It was Reagan and then Bush. She, at that time, was just Jackie Onassis, like, socialite. yeah. Yeah, socialite celebrity. And so she just had, like, money to burn. And she gave a lot of money to AIDS-related charities and she purchased a lot of AIDS art, like, really undercover and low-key. Undercover, like, under a different name? Or, like, she bought it through people at auctions and stuff Through like people that. at auctions. Hmm. When you first told me that, I freaked out. I would love a Jackie 2 starring Natalie Portman about... Maybe she'll finally get her goddamn Oscar for it. <laughs> about her life as an AIDS activist. <laughs> <laughs> And then Lady Di did the same thing. Lady Di was different. She was the first major celebrity to on camera touch someone with AIDS. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. And she also did a lot of like AIDS activism and donating to AIDS related charities. But her like big thing was that in whatever like year she started being famous, I can't remember like when she was famous. But when she got famous, it was like during the AIDS epidemic and she went to a hospital where people with AIDS were being treated and she held their hands and stuff. It was like the biggest step forward for people who didn't have AIDS seeing people with AIDS as people, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. As opposed to like the infected. Yes. I love those stories. (laughs) Like bedtime stories. <laughs> Very serious, sad, adult bedtime stories. Yeah. As the podcast has grown, I keep thinking back to when we first made the podcast. And I remember like taping your comforter up to the window with tape so that the sound didn't bounce off the wall. And our Patreon subscribers who we've kind of welcomed into the One More Thing family over the years have been so helpful to the season two that we did and the season three. And postcast. Yeah. And have really helped us grow. And I just wanted to say thank you. And if you're listening to this and you are not a Patreon subscriber, I would like you to consider maybe becoming one. (laughs) (laughs) It would be really great if every listener donated $1 because you know what that would do? We'd get a bunch of dollars. And, oh, 
Oh, by the way, we also have a PayPal now. Oh, right? So if you want to make a one-time donation, I literally just remembered this as we're recording this ad. If you want to make a one-time donation, which would be so incredibly kind, you can go to paypal.com and just PayPal us at one more thing. For the one more thing of this episode, like any class, we're going to have a quiz. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to go over information in this episode, Mm. and I'm going to test you, test your knowledge, and see how much you know. Okay. I'm so nervous. I didn't think of the questions in advance, so... (laughs) (laughs) What major gallery showed David Wojnarowicz's work while he was alive? The Whitney. Yes. In what event? The bisexual. <laughs> the bison. The bi. The bi thing. The biennial. Yeah. Biennial. And it was it was photography of his boyfriend and other things. That's correct. What does ACT UP stand for? Mm, something coalition. Two other words and then a T word. You spelled ACT UP wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you spelled it. Act It's... Uh, the first word should be easy. AIDS? Yes. Coalition? Yes. And then there are like two little words before the T word. One... No. The T word is next. Oh. Because the word is act. A-C-T. I know, but isn't it like of the or something? No. Oh, okay. The T is the small word. AIDS? Coalition? Two? Yes. Oh, I don't know. Unleash power. Yes. Cut that. Unleash power. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep you honest. Um, What was the name of the art collective that sprung from ACT UP? Grand Fury. Yes. That's really good. Do you know how I remembered? Grandma. Yeah, I figured. And then Nick Fury from the Avengers. (laughs) Good. Did I tell you what school Keith Haring went to? No, I was going to ask, but then you just said fancy schools he went to sva gotcha so you get a point for that one (laughs) (laughs) what is sva school of visual arts Hmm. here in nyc okay this is a critical thinking question jesus okay what do keith herring and grand fury have in common that they're protest artists and nothing else and they're also friends I mean, well, yeah. that everything else they have in not common. Nope. There is one specific thing they have in common. They both died of AIDS complications? Nope. Grand Fury is a collective, not a person. Oh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of David. You're right. Um, okay, so Keith, so, so what are the similarities between Keith and the collective? Yes. They're both protest artists? Yes. They both had graffiti art? Yes, that's what oh, I was going for. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> and specifically, their graffiti art was on the subway. When you say on the subway, do you mean on the outside, inside, or the station? Keith's was on the outside, like spray painted. On like the cars. On the cars. Okay. Grand Fury's Whoa, was... Oh, crazy that this Pride Month we had the subway do those like hearts oh, on the outside yeah. of the cars. Wow. That's critical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the first episode of Jay's Classroom. (laughs) 
DM us or comment on the pictures of the art that we have posted on things that you learned or interesting things that you know, and we'll share the learning. Yeah, and let us know what other like very specific topics that Jay knows about. Yeah, that I know about that you want me to teach everyone about <laughs> because you all know everything that I know about, apparently. <laughs> Remember that we have our book club coming up and our movie club coming up and the rest of season four to look forward to. There's a lot coming your way. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at One More Thang. You can subscribe on Patreon and give us money. You can subscribe on our Letterboxd and see what we think about movies. You can give us a one-time donation at PayPal. And remember, don't buy Supreme. Yeah. Thank you to David and Abby. Bye. Bye. What's the word? Um, what's the word when it's like a thing that happens all the time? Quotidian? <laughs> you think that's the word? <laughs> <laughs>